So as I pray, there's going to be a great harvest. And I just thought this was a great uh, picture that I found there on the Internet of Jesus coming with his golden crown and his sickle. This is going to be a harsh uh, verse to read. It's going to be harsh because it, it, it is going to tell us what happens to those who just remain in rebellion and who remain obedient to the world systems. And it's a comfort to us to know that the world systems will go away. They are coming to an end. They can't keep on going. Now, for those who are kind of new to the Grove here, I just want to give you a little reminder. We're looking, this is the last times, last day's timeline. And we have the church age. We are now in the church age. It is my belief and my teaching that at the end of the church age, that a trump will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first. That is what we call the rapture or the taking away of God's people. There will be seven years of tribulation. And to give a timeline, we're talking right now about the wrath of God being poured out here sometime in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. That's the time frame, just to give you context of where we're talking today. It's not happening right now. It's not going to happen here at the beginning. This is going to go on at the end. So we're reading about the very end events and possibly we're reading about the Battle of Armageddon sort of in a summary way. The Battle of Armageddon will be the battle that ends all battles. So in review, when I was last with you, which would have been three weeks ago today, uh, last taught you, remember we studied the dragon that was Satan himself, that old serpent of old. The beast, which is also known as the Antichrist and many other uh, names. And then thirdly is this false prophet that's sort of a, I call him the sidekick of the Antichrist. Okay, he's the one that will make that thing that I said looked like the Eye of Sauron or, you know, even with artificial intelligence now, it makes me think that there will be a robot that can do all of these things that we talked about even, uh, you know, those three weeks ago. It's kind of amazing when we were kids, we would read through all this and think, how could any of this be? How could everybody on the earth, raise your hand if you remember wondering how everybody on the earth could see something happen all at the same time. And the young kids are going, how could they not? We have the internet. Well, guys, we lived before there was an internet. We lived before there was computers. I mean, there might've been a computer at NASA, but I sure didn't have one. And so we're seeing things happen that, yes, let us know that the time is drawing near because now we see how these things could come about that God talks about in his word. We talked about the mark of the beast, that the that there will be a group of people that voluntarily submit to a marking by the Antichrist. And interestingly enough, in, in that chapter 13, it said that they'll receive the mark on their forehead and on their hand, right? And while I was on vacation, I had time to sit up there in the Carolinas, and I thought about that deeply and I have some more things to say about the mark of the beast. I think you'll find them interesting. And then we're moving now to the end. I told someone yesterday, how long are we going to be in the book of Revelation? I said, well, I can see the light there at the backside of the barn. That's about how close we are. I'd say we're four or five weeks from finishing. And then we're going to, it's a surprise yet. I've told a couple of y'all where we're going to go after that. And uh, it won't be a surprise when you think about it. What we're seeing today is there are still going to be those that reject the Lord, even when these seven bowls of wrath are poured out on the world. 
to those that are in rebellion, there's still those that will reject the Lord. And remember that it is the Lord's desire that how many should perish? None. That none should perish. So this is not something where there's this destined number that are going to get whacked on the head and burned up in a rat in a bowl of wrath. These are people that are going to choose to live in rebellion to the Lord. And in the end, he will divide the wheat from the chaff. Any of y'all ever harvested wheat, driven a combine other than me and Mike? And Audrey, have you driven a combine? I guess you have. Yeah, they're from, they're folks from Missouri and, and Illinois. Well, when you drive that combine, Mike, what gets separated? You end up with the wheat seeds and what happens to the chaff? It gets blown out the side of the combine, doesn't it? And so what we're reading about today is those that are going to get blown out of the side of the combine, so to speak. In actuality, they're going to get burned up and all kinds of other things are going to happen to them. So open your Bible. Then I look, this is chapter 14, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000. That is why we sang what we did this morning. Awake, O Israel, put off your slumber. And with him are 144,000 having his name written on their foreheads. And what is God's name? His name is what? It's Yahweh, right? I know we sang Jehovah today, but Jehovah is a contrived name, but it fits real well in the in that in that song. So that's why we sing it. Now we see the lamb there standing on Mount Zion. And when you see the lamb, the lamb is Jesus, and he's standing there triumphantly, and he's standing there with these 144,000. Do you want to remember who these were? These are Jews who I call super evangelists. It said, remember when we studied them the first time around, they're doing the work of God. So they were there on earth. They're bringing others to Christ. They're proclaiming the gospel. We're going to see again in a minute. And they have God's name written on their foreheads. When I read that, when I sat there in Pofftown, North Carolina, in the driveway in the little camper, I thought, why did I not see this before? Go back and think about what God told Moses. Where did God tell Moses to put the word of God? You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. This is Deuteronomy 6 eight, And they shall be frontlets between your eyes, between their eyes. Don't you see the beast himself, the antichrist is the great, or the beast is the imitator. The dragon is the imitator. And so this is just a mirror of what God said. And as I thought about it further and discussed it with my son, Alex, last night, he said, Dad, don't you see why God wanted it to be in their foreheads? Because he wants us to be thinking about the word of God. He wants our minds to be transformed by the renewing of our minds through the word of God. And then why would it say that God's word is on our hand? Because God intends that we would consider his word Every time we do anything, our hands are busy doing things. So God's word should be foremost in our mind, and it should be foremost in our heart, in our hands as we carry out the things that God would have us. So this mark of the beast is just nothing but a counterfeit of what God has commanded for his people. If you go to Israel, you'll see Orthodox Jews walking around, and they have this little thing called a tefillin. It's got scripture inside of it, and there's another one, bound on their arm. Have y'all seen pictures of these before? And so that's kind of where you misinterpret it exactly. You say, well, God said, put it on my forehead. So I'll put it on my forehead and I better wrap it up and put it on my arm. But it's a great reminder to us that God's word should always be foremost in our minds. It should be 
on our hands as we go about our day and we do things. So anyway, I, I thought of that and I had to share it. I thought it was so exciting. Satan will place his mark of the beast on the hand and on the forehead of his followers. Revelation 13, 16. Verse two. And I heard a voice from heaven. This is kind of odd, but listen closely. And you're going to hear a personal testimony that I'm going to read about someone hearing what we're going to read right now. Like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. I want to talk about this for a second. I sat and thought about and tried to imagine what it would sound like to hear a voice that sounded like waters and that sounded like thunder. I don't know if anybody's ever heard any such thing. Well, our editor, Amanda, whom some of you all know, uh, and I can only find one page now. Uh, thank you, Pastor. So our editor at one time was a crystal meth addict. She was a crystal meth addict. Thank you. Even while she, and she told me I could share this with you guys. And I'm going to share it with you so you don't just think it's something I pulled off the internet. This was sent to me last night, and it's a personal account of her when she was on a high. And at the time, she said she was a believer. She slipped off and got into sin, forgot what her who her identity was in Christ, got wrapped up in all of these things, and she ended up getting on a high and ended up being thrown in jail. And this is just a piece of her account. Looking for my glasses. They're on your shirt. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to read the first part, but listen to the second. The cell was freezing. I was tired and I was very high. There was a sink and a toilet, but certainly no privacy. And even though I had to use the restroom, I did not do it. Voices began telling me that they were going to make scalding hot water burst from the toilet in the sink. So it would melt my skin off. And she goes into saying she saw all kinds of inscriptions on the wall, thinking she was supposed to interpret it. This is how oppression of demons happens. A believer cannot be indwelled by a demon, but they can be oppressed by a demon when they invite them to be in or about them or on them would be a better way to put it. She says, I was screaming to anyone who might be reading my mind since I thought that the government was listening, uh, was listening in during my training. She, she had this delusion that she was under some kind of training with the FBI. God was not even on the radar for me at this point. Nothing happened and no one came to help. Finally, after some time, all of the demonic voices were hushed. I heard a single voice and it sounded male. All the voice said to me was, call your father. That voice was unlike anything that I've ever heard before or since. It sounded exactly like the voice described in the text of Revelation 14 too. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. She goes on and quotes scripture. The voice sounded like what's described in Psalms 29, three, three through nine. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The glory of glory thunders. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, even breaks the cedars of Lebanon. It goes on and forth. And then she says, the voice was so powerful, but it was so comforting. It exuded power and authority and peace and love and comfort all at the same time. It was an awesome sound, just like what's ascribed to God in Jude 1.25, 2.19, 
to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. It is hard for me to describe what this sounded like. Mixing mighty rushing water with the thunderous rolling crash of lightning, it flowed across like honey and rippled through me like the waves of the ocean. It was magnificent. And with only the three words of call your father, it really put me completely in awe. Hallelujah. I think that John heard something like that, what Amanda did. And we are so pleased that the Lord delivered Amanda from her addiction after maybe my second year in ministry. And I'm saying this to let you all know God is alive today. And we didn't just see him alive in Aaron. And we didn't just see him alive in Amanda. We've really seen him alive in each of our lives if we stop and think about it. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These are the ones who follow the lamb where he goes. They were redeemed from among men being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault. It's interesting because there's two songs of Moses that are recorded in the Bible. I don't know if y'all realize that. When they passed through the Red Sea, uh, Moses sang a song that sometimes we sing, but I will try out gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. Y'all remember when we've sung that. There's another song that he sang. There's a song that Deborah sings in Judges chapter five. And I think there's kind of a song that each of us can sing. I was thinking about that. I think there's a song that's kind of my song to the Lord, maybe when I'm singing praises to him. And maybe there's a song that you have to sing to the Lord. But these are songs that they sang. And there is going to be a special song that only these 144,000 can learn. Those glasses are like way too strong. There we go. So, and it says they are not defiled with women. And I believe what that's talking about is they have not been defiled by the world system, which was sexuality and sensuality at at that time that will be at that time. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute about what I believe some of the meaning is in Babylon. These were redeemed. They were among men being the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. So why are they the first fruits? I think these are the first of Israel that saved there during the time of the tribulation. And obviously at this point, they've been martyred because John sees them in heaven. John sees them there with Jesus where they are triumphant. And they are standing there without fault before the throne of God. We too, I want to remind you, are blameless without fault. Many times when I'm counseling people, it's easy for them to somehow accept the fact that God forgives them but they have a problem forgiving themselves. I think you as a clinician probably saw that. There's two verses that I point people to. One is, therefore, and I quoted this when we started, there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We are not condemned. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And then in Jude one twenty four, which is the verse prior to the one that Amanda just quoted in that email. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless. 
before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So why are we faultless? Is it because we haven't done things that are wrong? We're faultless because the Lord Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. And yes, they were paid for once and for all. They were paid by him. So when you get to heaven, and I guess you're, maybe you'll be asked, how are you here? You're, you say, I'm here only through the blood of Jesus. We studied that back when we studied Paul's letters, that it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Verse five, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. So this is the first of another batch of angels. Having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. When we were back in South Carolina, we met with a brother-in-law and a sister-in-law who quizzed me about the gospel. They had told me that they had been attending a church their whole lives, a supposedly a Bible teaching church. And they said, you know, I, I don't think we ever really knew the gospel. Tell us what you think the gospel is. And I want you all to hear this so you'll know what the gospel is. It's Jesus is crucified for my sins. All right. Jesus was buried and Jesus rose again. Amen. That's the gospel. Amen. And if anyone tries to complicate it any more than that, then they're off in something. And she said, we went to church for 30 years and never really heard anyone tell us that that was the gospel. Somehow it was communicated. And this was in a Baptist church was communicated to us that we needed to attend enough prayer meetings or go to enough this or do enough that or get enough gold stars on our card. And that would be the gospel. But the gospel is Jesus died for me. Jesus was buried for me. And Jesus rose from the dead for me. And the beauty is he did it for each one of you as well. Shout hallelujah. To preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every tribe, tongue and people saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. When I was a little boy, I was so blessed to go to St. Thomas Episcopal School. I was not an Episcopalian. We went to a Bible church, but every week in that school, we were required to memorize a scripture. Isn't that incredible? We would get up on Friday and we would have to recite that. But the first one that we recited every year was this. If you don't know this, you need to learn it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See how that ties with this? It says, fear God and give glory to him. When you begin to understand the awesomeness, and I'm using awesome to God, I'm trying to change where I just use it to him couple in the church told me, I don't use the word awesome anymore unless I'm talking about God. I like that. But when you understand how awesome he is, and it's such a relief, as I've told you all over and over, it's such a relief in your life when you realize you're not God. When you realize that, it is a relief. You don't have to worry about the illnesses that come your way, the financial problems that come your way, all the worries that you have, all of those things that you're concerned about. You're not God. He's God and you're not. And when you understand and fear him, that is really saying you realize that he's God and you're not. That's what that means. It doesn't mean running off and being afraid of him. Although I have to say I am fearful of the consequences when I do things outside of his will. But the fear of the Lord is realizing he's God and you're not. And then we, this reminded me of the scripture in Matthew 24, 14, where it says that in this gospel, and I just told us, reminded us what the gospel was, 
shall be preached in all of the earth for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Let's go now to verse number eight. And another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen. It is fallen, that great city, because she had made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. I want to talk for a minute about Babylon. Babylon is a place, okay? Babylon's a place. It's over in modern-day Iraq, and it is the place where man first came together, and the story is that that Nimrod and his wife, Semiramis, she's not in the Bible, and I'll talk about her in a minute. Eusebius talks about her, that she was a very manipulative woman, and they decided that they would build a monument really to themselves, build, build a monument to men, and man got together, not wanting to be scattered upon the earth, and mankind, let's say, shook its collective fist in God's face. Guys, that is rebellion. Do you realize there's still people shaking their collective fist in God's face today? And there's a system being set up that controls, remember what we said about not only what we do, but what we think. Go back to the commandments of the Lord to put his word between our eyes and on our arms. There's a system in Disney, if you work for Disney, this Disney employees have put this out. I'm going to tell you something you probably don't know. And my son told me where every employee is graded, not only what he does, but on what he thinks. Isn't that scary? It's called their DEI program. It's uh, diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion, I think. And it's going to be a system kind of like Disney, but in the whole world where Antichrist demands to not only control what people do, but what they think. And some in here lived under the Soviet Union, and you know what it's like to live in a country where you can't be free or at least to express what it is that's going on in your mind, okay? That's the world system. That's Babylon. That's why I'm bringing all this up. And the story is, you can go back in your Bible and look at it, that God confused mankind, and that's where the Tower of Babel, people were scattered throughout all the earth, and their languages were uh, confused. And this says, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. I thought about that. That's odd. We think I think of fornication as having sex outside of marriage, right? That's what we think about. But really, fornication is when we are entering into intimacy, okay, in an illegitimate relationship. And God uses the picture of fornication with his people when they pursue and chase after other gods, okay? And gods can be all kinds of things in our life. Alex and I talked, he was either this morning or last night, and he said, it's kind of strange if you put, I think it was mice or rats he talked about, when he said, if you'll put a rat in a cage and, and put cocaine or something in front of it, it keeps pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing till it kills itself. It'll take so much dope. He said, if you get it out of the cage, put the cocaine out there, the rat won't even go to the cocaine. He said, we were meant to live in freedom in the Lord. He kind of used it in that way. And he said, isn't it interesting, Dad, that anything that the world offers like that cocaine eventually destroys a person? It's self-destructive. It's always self-destructive. Anything that you're doing to meet these needs that God put in you that are outside of what he designed for you, they end up in destruction. 
And this fornication is intimacy that's illegitimate where we're worshiping things that shouldn't legitimately be worshiped. Are y'all following me a little better? Well, anyway, Eusebius, he lived about 300 and he was a Christian writer that wrote about Babel and what happened. And a guy named Alexander Hislop, who was from Scotland, I don't know if he extended this or this is true, but this is what Hislop says about, about Samarimus. He says, Samarimus was instrumental in Nimrod's plan to rebel against God. And he speaks of the woman's unusual ability to manipulate the will of men. Nimrod and his wife lured God's chosen people away from the true worship. In time, she earned the title of Queen of Heaven, and thus began the whole apparatus of the Babylonian religious cults. The Babylonian religious cult is just the world system. That's what it is. And so I think that Babylon is political. I think that Babylon is spiritual. I think that Babylon, Babylon is just the world's way of doing things versus God's way of doing things. Y'all see what I'm saying? Yes, it is a place, but it's a place that taught us that the world's divided up between those that want to serve self through their own world system and those who want to serve God. Let's go on to verse nine. Then the third angel followed, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. So there it's saying, if you're obedient to the beast, you're obedient to the dragon, you're going to receive the wrath of God. He shall be tormented, tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And I put the Greek up here because it's kind of interesting. It's very, very strong. It says, ace, ionas, ionon. And we translate that as forever and ever, but it really means that they are going to be tormented from ages to ages to ages, all right? For all ages. What it means is that those that choose, God is a gentleman, and those that choose to be separated from him, God is gonna honor that. And he's gonna honor their desire to be separated, and he's going to honor it for eternity. And they have no rest, day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. So there's going to be no rest. But let's see what happens for the saints. Here's the patience of the saints, John says. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, right, blessed are the dead, who die in the Lord from now on. I, I, I love that sentence. I've been thinking about that sentence for a few weeks. Blessed are those, happier those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works will follow them. There is a comfort and an assurance for every believer. When we have our discussions at home, sometimes my kids would say, well, what happens if if we end up being persecuted or what happens if we really are going to be here during the tribulation, Sandy and I always told them you can only die once and you have eternal peace while you're alive and you're going to have eternal peace once you go to be with the Lord. Uh, these are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And what does Jesus say? I will give you rest. Guys, that rest is available to you today. Amen even though you think you're in a problem, even though you wonder if it'll ever be under 100 degrees again at three in the afternoon. About this time of the year, those who are new from out in the West Coast, we ourselves, Texans, began to wonder 
I wonder if it'll just always be hot. Is it never going to cool off again? But you're going to have a rest. Take my yoke, Jesus says, upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest under your souls. The writer of Hebrews talks about how Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He says, he's the one that we're going to enter into as resting. Therefore, let us be diligent. That means you're going to have to work at being restful. You got to say, Lord, I want to worry about this thing. God, keep me from worrying about it. Lord, I want to rest in you. Amen. You got to talk to yourself. I've told you I have my dad would say, self, stop worrying about this. God has this. You're not God, self. He's God. Those kinds of things. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And then in 14, we see a preview of Armageddon itself. I looked and I behold a white cloud and on the cloud sat one like the son of man. Obviously, this is Jesus having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. There's going to come a time when it's ripe for harvest. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle, that's Jesus, on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him, who had the sharp sickle saying, thrust in your sharp sickle, gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. Many of us have heard the battle hymn of the Republic and it was taken, those lines were taken from here. I don't particularly like it because I had folks that fought in the Confederacy. This is what we were told was a Yankee song, but uh, Julia and my people were also in the, in the union. Julia wore to, Oh, though, I, I, I just like to hear this. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord, trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible with swift sword. His truth is marching on. Well, Julia was right, not knowing she was right. She thought that his truth was the Union troops that were marching, and they weren't the truth. The truth is the Lord Jesus when he's going to come, and he's going to bring his wrath against those who have persecuted us and who have been in rebellion to him. Verse 19, so the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into a great wine press. We can see her words there of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the wine press up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. Well, if you measure all of that, and you do it in square measurement, it's 200 square miles. And for those who have been to Israel, this is the valley or the Jezreel Valley, also called the Valley of Armageddon. The Valley of Armageddon has hosted more wars till today than any other place in human history. Did y'all know that? I didn't know that. 34 wars have been fought on the plains of Megiddo, but the big battles yet to come. And it's going to be the one when Jesus comes back and he's going to be riding on a white horse and he is not going to be happy. All right. Anyway, I just thought that was super interesting. The Lord talked about all this. He said in Matthew 13, 38, the field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. 
The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. Isaiah talks about Armageddon. He describes it in Isaiah 63, 1 through 2, and I won't read it all, but he says, Why is your apparel red, and your garments like one who treads in a winepress? Zechariah talks about the second coming when he says, And in that day, his feet, whose feet? Jesus's feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And I've stood there. Many of you all have. And the Mount of Olives <coughs> shall be split in two from the east to the west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it towards the south. That's Zechariah 14.4. We've read all about wrath this morning, and I want to remind you that God has not appointed his faithful people to wrath. Amen. So the question is, are you one of his faithful people? Amen. Have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus? I hope so. If for nothing else, that you might avoid these things that we've seen and read about today. Paul says it clearly. God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus, Amen. who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also doing. The suggestion and the encouragement and the admonishment this morning to this church group is that you would comfort one another as we read these things about judgment. I don't want anybody leaving here going, man, he just really was preaching hell and damnation or whatever. But let's, let's comfort one another with these words. Let's comfort one another that we are in a community of faith. How do we edify one another? Edifying one another means building each other up. It is so easy for you guys to pick apart my faults, right? It's harder to edify me and build me up. I'm talking to myself now because it's easy for, easier for me to see the faults in others than it is to build them up. So let's all be about the business. Let's obey what the Lord says here through the Apostle Paul. Let's comfort one another whenever we can this week. If someone's down about something, don't give them with those words where you're really kind of saying, yeah, you know, you really kind of deserve that anyway. Or, you know, you know how you can do when you meet people. You know what I'm talking about. Let's be about comforting each other as a, as a church family, edifying one another, do everything we can help build one another up to be everything you and I were meant to be in Christ. Amen? Amen. Just as you are also doing. And I praise God that I am in a church that is Bible-believing. I put that on the back of the, of the bulletin this week. It's kind of hard to read. But I saw that and said that we are a Bible-believing church committed to loving God, loving people, and the verse-by-verse -verse teaching of God's perfect word. Amen. Amen. Thank you for, go ahead. You can give, give the Lord a hand. I praise the Lord that I, I have a congregation that loves to hear precept upon precept, to hear God's word upon word, that you love hearing it verse by verse, that you wrestle with God's verses and you sometimes wrestle with me about them and that's okay. I don't have all the answers and you know what? I don't need them because you know why? Because I'm not God. He is. Yeah.